88. Let's go ahead and put the picture on the screen for me. Yes, DJ Jesse Jeff and the Fresh Prince, right? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to, how many of you remember them, right? If you don't know who uh, uh, the Fresh Prince is, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as in Will Smith, right? Which is really funny looking at this because he wrote this song, Parents Just Don't Understand, the anthem of our generation, right? And I'm going to read this, I'm going to read a couple lines to you real quick. You ready, kids? Here we go. You know parents are the same matter time nor place. They don't understand that as kids are going to make some mistakes. So you, to you, all the kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand, right? Amen, right? I, I, I should have had a Timothy beatbox up here for me, right? But a good time. Yeah, this is an anthem of my generation. Literally, 1988, my freshman year of high school, this song comes out. It's on MTV. They had this great cheesy video, like spray-painted rooms, all this kind of stuff, right? And it has mom and dad right here. And he's just singing this song about parents just not understanding. And I remember there was an anthem because, Man, this, this is like this is like this this is, this is a song for me. I, I, I totally know my parents, and they just don't understand. They don't get me, and I know it by a few things that they say. See if these things sound familiar. Number one, this is for your own good. Are you serious? Right, let, me, let me be honest with you. Who knows my good better than me? Right? And they're sitting to me telling me something like, this is for your own good. I'm like, no, it's not. You have no idea what you're talking about. You just don't understand. Or this one, this is going to hurt me more than it will hurt you. Seriously, I'm going to walk away. My bottom's going to be a little red. And you're going to just walk down the stairs. Nothing's happening to you. I know it's a lame way to show me compassion and all, right? But it's just not true. Or my favorite, this one right here, and I think this is so true for us. You may not understand why I'm doing this now, but when you get older, you will, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, thank you, DJ Tessie Jeff and the Fresh Prince. This is my song, right? This was our song for the junior high, high school, college kids. Parents just don't understand. And so we lived in this reality. I lived in this reality. But it's a funny now that I've turned 40 and I have two beautiful daughters that are sitting right here on the front row. It's this. I've come to this reality that I don't necessarily agree with the song anymore. And I wonder if Will Smith does either, right? Because he wrote it. He's got his own kids now. Because there's this whole thing that happens, this dynamic that goes down with, with children and kids is that they really think that they know everything. You remember those back, back in the day? You're like, my parents just don't get me, they don't understand. And, and, and I've gotten older, and I think to myself, because like parents are not fair, right? They set, they discipline me, it's not fair. They set boundaries, it's not fair. How many of you have heard your kids say, that's not fair, right? It's like, yeah, it's just like an anthem of our kids. Kids are like, yeah, I say it all the time. Yeah, totally me, right? This is so true. How many of you adults still say the same thing? Don't say it, don't raise your hand. But this whole dynamic going down, right? This, it's just not fair. And so, so now when I look at my kids, I recognize, and parents understand this, that, that we've been given responsibility, haven't we? And, and if we're completely honest about raising kids, I mean, we, we really are completely clueless about what we're doing. Honestly, we are. Like, we, we do our best, but our best, and this is the important thing, our best is birth out of something I didn't understand when I was a kid. It's birth out of wisdom. See, there's a huge difference, a chasm between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is simply knowing facts about something, but wisdom is knowledge with experience attached to it, right? And so if I were to sit here, like my buddy Andy was here at the first service, and he's flying out back to Dallas in a few minutes. You know, he say, he, I, said, I looked at him and said, I said, here's the deal. Andy's flying back to Dallas, Texas today. And I look at him and say, you have a choice. You can have a pilot. 
who knows all about flying planes. He's read all the books. He's seen planes. He's even been in a plane, but he's never had any personal experience flying it versus somebody else who has knowledge, birth, connected with the experience of actually sitting behind in the cockpit and flying a plane. Which pilot would you choose? And obviously, we'd all choose the one who had a level of experience, wisdom, a knowledge attached to the experience of actually flying the plane. And so that's what happens with us parents, right? We, we live our lives, we get a little bit older, we turn 40 and 50 all down the line, right? We're parents, we have our kids, and what we have in our life is not perfection in parenting, right? But it's a level of wisdom. Because we've lived our life and we have a knowledge now with experience of life. We know how cruel the world can be. We know how nice the world can be. We have all sorts of knowledge, our own personal experience. But we also have well, the experience of our friends that are around us, right? We've kind of walked through things with them. We tell their story. We explain things through their lens because we've experienced it with them. Or, or even out here, like, I may not know Joe Blow out here, but I know his experience. And so because of things he's gone through, because someone's told me the story. And so what I have then... And in parenting is I have now this level of wisdom. So when I, set, when I set up boundaries for my children, I set up guardrails, I may miss it every now and then. But ultimately, I've been given a God-given responsibility to, in my wisdom, the, the best I know how, to, to lead my children, to discipline my children, to guide them, and to, and to love them well. Again, through this level of wisdom that I have from life. Our, when we were children, we had no understanding of that. But as we get older, we look and say, yes. I mean, I, I've, how many times have you said, wow, my parents were right? And right my parents were right. Not all the time, right? But they were right a whole lot more than I gave them credit for. And so when I look here this morning about this, this nature of wisdom, we want to speak about this understanding of wisdom this morning. And what I want to do is I want, to, I want you to think it along these lines. I want you and I to think of it this way. I want us this morning to represent children, okay? Represent kids. And we want God to represent parents, okay? Represent parents. So we represent the children. God's going to represent the parent for us. And thinking about and looking at simply this Do I trust God's wisdom? Okay? Do I trust God's wisdom? The context of my life, do I really trust him? Do I believe him? Do I live in the confidence of his movement? Because we've been talking for the last several weeks about this nature of idolatry, right? But these other lovers back here who are always clamoring for the, for the primary place in our life, who are, uh, who are clamoring for the, to, be the, uh, to be our lover, and to take God, to, to displace God, put him over here, and to put another lover, an idol, on the throne of our life. We look at different idols. Uh, it's the idol of, of pleasure, the idol of happiness, of, of power, and of influence, the, 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 the idol of success, or self-reliance, right? And these, all these things, the, the God of, this gods of pleasure that we give ourselves to, right, that define our lives. We said, these are other lovers that are clamoring for our attention and our affection. And in that, they're, they're clamoring to remove God. But what we've been saying, what we've been saying is this, that God wants to come, and he wants us to displace the idols, right, that we place in our lives, he wants us to displace them, to take them and throw them over here 
and to then replace them with Jesus, to displace the idols and to replace them with Jesus. And so theoretically, all of us agree to this, right? We understand theologically, we understand theoretically, yes, idols are not good things. We read it all through the, all through the New Testament, Old Testament, even New Testament. Idols are not good. We need to remove them. But the interesting thing about idols and the part that we have to be honest with is oftentimes it can be very, very hard to displace idols. Because here's the thing. If, if, if we receive joy, gratification, and satisfaction from them, and they connect to our heart, they don't just sit there. They dig roots into our heart. They become grafted into who we are. And so when we go to displace the idols, it hurts because there's some level of uprooting that's happening. Listen, back when I was in college, you know, I was, I was no, I was by no stretch of imagination some ladies' man, but I, I did date a few girls here and there. They're all nice, sweet girls, right? And, and some, and I never married any of them, which meant that somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, I, we, one of us came to a realization that we should no longer be in a relationship, right? We had to have one of those DTRs to find the relationship and have like a the breakup talk, right? And so I'll never forget in the moment that I would be sitting there and, and, and get off the phone with my girlfriend or talking or whatever, and, and I would just feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm talking about? Like that unsettledness. And I'm like, and it was always, oh, no, God wants me to break up, right? That's what I was, oh, no, Jesus, there you go again, making my life miserable, right? Make me feel alone. No, that's the thought I'm having. Why? Because, because you're in this moment. What happens? You get this girlfriend, you get this, this significant other, and all of a sudden this person satisfies you. And you know what I mean? Like they, they love you, and they make you feel good about yourself. They tell you how good-looking you are. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so great and so fantastic. And all of a sudden God comes along and says, time to break up. You're like, what are you doing? Right? Because what's happened? You, you've had this level of affection towards someone, and God then says, hey, it's time to displace this person from your life. And when you do, it hurts, doesn't it? Because there's, there's roots that have become attached, and there's these, these, these connections and this relationship and these memories and this history and all this type of stuff. And so when we talk about, for the last six weeks, displacing idols, that's great theoretically, but the reality of doing it is we're uprooting something that's attached to us. And I don't know about you, but that hurts. Things that I've, I've, I've connected myself to. We saw that in the rich young ruler a few weeks ago, didn't we? So he comes up, what must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? And he says, hey, go take all your possessions, sell them, and give them to the poor, into the poor, and then you can follow me. And it says he went away sad because he was very wealthy. His his, the, he, he was sitting there in the moment, and his and this idol of money, power, influence, and success was so connected to the to his heart that he wasn't willing to uproot it. Nebuchadnezzar last week, remember we said, here he is. He's he's powerful, right? He's sitting here, and all of a sudden he has a dream one night. God just scares the daylights out of him and says, "Hey, you, like has a picture of a tree. Remember, here's this tree, and Daniel says, "Hey, you're the tree, and God, if you don't humble yourself." God's going to come and chop you down. And 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar is out there, right? He has the, the, the idol of self, the God of self, and of self-reliance and self-empowerment, right? This God of self, the God of me, making life all about him and looking through the lens of me with everything that he did. And he goes, oh, look at the kingdom I built for my glory and for my majesty. 
And all of a sudden, God went. And for seven years, he walked on his haunches in the field with the wild animals. God displaced him. God displaced him. And so in these moments of displacement, these moments of of difficulty that are hard for us and it hurts sometimes, the question we have to ask is this. In those moments of displacement, in the moments when we're choosing to displace idols, in the moments we're choosing to be obedient to God and it costs something, the question we have to ask and that we literally, I believe, have to wrestle with, with everything inside of us, is this. Do I trust that when I displace something or God displaces something from my life, that he will replace it with something better? Do I really trust that in the moment of displacing something from from my life, displacing another lover, that God will replace it with something that is far grander and much better? Do I truly trust God's wisdom? Do I think that dad really understands? Do I live really thinking and trusting and believing that dad actually has greater wisdom? Or do I sit back and think, whoa, 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 right? Like the rich young ruler. I'm not sure it's the best thing for me, right? And so we live in this tension of our lives saying, yes, I understand theoretically. I'm even happy naming the idols. Oh, it just feels, because it's really good. It feels good. Oh, yeah, I named the idol. I named the thing. It just feels so good to name it. And it was like, yeah, yeah. The thing to go somewhere? The thing to leave, right? Because that, that might hurt. I'm not sure I want to do that one, right? So there's that tension that we face. And what it boils down to in that moment is do we really trust God? That what he replaces it with will be better. And listen, here's a, here's a difficult thing. I break up with someone I'm like, God, does that mean someone's waiting right outside the door for me to date somebody else? Or do I have to go through the, the, the difficulty, almost the detox? Almost like a detox in my life to recognize actually how far gone I was with that idol. And the detox process is actually God clarifying who I am, who he is. And then in time, he replaces it with himself or something that he wants to give us. And so the question is, I want to tell you, I'm not going to answer any questions for you this morning. I just want you to know that. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging. Scott Crawford's going to speak next week, and he gets the, he gets the, 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 the pleasure of replacing it, right? Doing the whole replace talk. It's going, to be grand, it's going to be fantastic, right? I'm really jealous. He gets the good one. But, but, but the one you're going to like came about it. But for me, I'm going to leave you hanging intentionally because this week we have to, and let me just go ahead and press pause. Let me do this. This is what it looks like. Trust is something that we don't talk about very often with God because each of us has something in our life that feels like God broke trust with us. A difficulty, a hardship, something that happened, something that was overwhelming. And we begin to talk about this trusting God and the wisdom of God and faith and belief and trust. We, we somewhere along the way, many of us said, whoa, whoa, that hurts too much to talk about that. Because I got so offended, so hurt, so overwhelmed. And so when I talk about trusting and believing God's wisdom versus your own, you tune out because that's the soft spot of your heart. That's the tension of even believing and trusting God. That's the thing that you're not sure you could ever do again. So you just kind of do the duty of being a Christian without actually having the trust and the faith that it requires to walk with him every day. And so God is going to want to say, 
Well, then, hey, let's do a counseling session this morning with me. And let's begin by saying, do you actually trust my wisdom as parent or do you trust yourself more? One story I want to look at this morning is from Genesis chapter 11. There are three uh, primary stories of universal judgment in the history of the origin of man. Okay? In the history of the origin of man, at least from, from the, the perspective of Genesis 1 through 11, there's three, three primary uh, stories of judgment. The first one would be uh, the fall, right? The fall. Man, man sins. Human beings sins. Man and woman both sin. They and God, out of his out of his mercy, comes and says, "I have to remove you from the garden because if I don't, then you may try to eat at the tree of life and never die and live in sin for the rest of your life." So we have to remove you from the garden. And he sends them east, right? And then he sends them east, and in the process of going east along the way, they get in such terrible sin, and all of humanity gets in such utter sin, God brings the flood, Noah, right? Brings the great flood, wipes out humanity except for a holy remnant, and then bursts, and then they move from there. But the third judgment is found in Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, I will say to you, kind of going in, and remember, we're children, right? We're children. I'm talking from you as the, from this, like, uh, this lens of being a child. The, f- the first time I, was, I really read the Tower of Babel story, I thought God was really unfair. I thought it was really unfair. Like in my perspective, I'm like, God, I mean, you're God and all, but I don't get this story. And I think it's a little unfair if I'm completely honest with you, right? So we're going to kind of read it from that lens. That's okay. We're, I'm, I'm going to come back. It's holy, okay? So don't worry. I'm not going to freak out on me. We're just going to, it's going to, from the lens of fairness, right? Children just don't understand, right? The lens of fairness. Starting in verse 1, chapter 11, Genesis. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, confuse their language, so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So I kind of get the picture here, right? Just remember from this childlike perspective, I'm just kind of giving you my lens. I'm like, God, this doesn't really seem all that fair, right? Uh, it's, here's a group of people, and they've been traveling east for a long time. You kick them out of their home because of their sin, and they're traveling, right? They're keeping going, 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 going. And finally, there is just this beautiful, beautiful place, a place they can rest. Because, listen, the men are complaining, the wives are complaining, the children are complaining, right? They just want to settle down. They just want to, they just want to like, they want to, they want to plant their roots, right? They want to get that, just that white picket fence. They want to nest a little bit, right? They just want to find that place, that home, that refuge, that place that they can just come and they can, they can be here. They're tired, right? They're, and and so, they, so they said, well, this is fantastic. This is a great place. We're going to stop and we're going to build here. And they said, hey, let's celebrate our nationalism, right? We're going to come together. We're going to celebrate by building this big tower in honor of who we are as a people, right? And so they begin building this tower and the idea is kind of reaching to the heavens. So there's this picture, maybe, hey, it's going to help us actually to connect with God and the gods that we worship, right? It's going to be this beautiful, beautiful thing. And and, and, and listen, we're, it's okay. We've, we've worked really hard. 
we've we've kind of earned this, right? We've we've worked hard, we we've earned this, and, and it seems really fair for us to take a take a breather, to stop right here, plant our roots, and then live in community together. It's gonna be really, really good. This is really good. And so I began to walk, read this and thinking, God, it just seems good for these people just to be able, man, just to settle down, to, to build their building, to, they were succeeding in life. They tired of being these wandering nomads. They just wanted to rest, right? So in, in my mind, this, I'm wondering, is this fair? Is this fair? God, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure you understand. And so in the moment, right, we have our own moments of life, right, that we're kind of similar to this. We're working hard. We're kind of going through our own, our own path of life. We're kind of, I mean, we're, work, we're, we're, we're doing things. We're making a name for ourselves, right? We're ambitious because we're, we're told we're supposed to do that. We are, we are uh, making a name for ourselves, and, and we're, living, we're living well and, and doing all the right things. And, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something happens. Something happens, Right? Here, in this story, like God comes and, and he brings this confusion. There's this, there's displacement. In our lives, in our own difficult moments, whether it's we're displacing idols or God's coming like this and doing a work in our lives, and we're left going, where are you, God? What are you, are you really here, right? I don't understand, I don't understand, God. I'm in a, and, and we wrestle, we find ourselves living in this tension every day of our life, and if we're honest, we feel this disconnect from God. And we're living this place of saying, God, I just don't think you understand. This isn't fair. Do you know how hard I've worked? I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I've, I've tried to be a good Christian. I've gone to church. I've served in the village. I've led small groups, right? I, I go to prayer on Tuesday mornings. I go to prayer on Sunday nights. I go to prayers on Thursdays. I do all the, uh, I go and help the poor. I go, I go to the nursing home and I sing for them. Vintage is even, even going this year, right? I mean, it's like, this is ridiculous, right? I mean, I'm doing all the good things. And all of a sudden, there's this thing that happens. And we find ourselves in the tension of God displacing. And in that moment, we're left at a point going, okay, God, are you wise? And can I trust you? See, the thing we have to recognize about life for us is that when God begins to move, we say, can I trust God's wisdom? That when life happens, whether I need to displace idols or God's displacing or something happens, do I trust his wisdom? And what the part we have to begin with is saying, my perspective is not the perspective of God. And this morning what I want to do is I want to name just a few things we see from Genesis 11 that maybe God sees in his wisdom as a, as a holy parent, right? And things that maybe I didn't see the first time I read the story. The first thing, though, but the first thing is the background, the backstory of what's going on in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11 is a direct assault on the mythology of Mesopotamia. I mean, it's, a, it's literally this judgment on, on Babylon. See, Babylon, we read about last week, it's, it's where Nebuchadnezzar was king, right? He's this, he's a great city, he was an evil king, and Babylon, in, in the Old Testament, it is seen as the embodiment of human pride and godlessness. Babylon, the background of the story is that the people we're talking about are, are, are those who are deemed the embodiment of human pride and godliness. They represent the great enemy. If we were to put it in modern terms, right, from our movies, right, who our great enemy is, we would say it's, it's terrorists from the Middle East. That's the language we would use to tell a story. Or if we're back in the 80s, 
It'd be the Russians, right? They were always the enemy in the movies. Everyone was against Russia. This is what's happening right here. They represent this great, great present evil enemy. And so in commonplace in Babylonian thought was that the temples they built would have their roots in hell, their tops in the uh, reach reach the heavens, and Babel meant the gate of the God. And so what we're getting at is that when they built this temple, you have to recognize what's going on. The tower that they're building is intended to be a monument to human effort with a desire to displace God. It literally represents an expression of the idol of self, self-reliance, and self-empowerment. They are in the process of living for themselves, displacing God and making themselves a God. Second, we, come this, we see direct disobedience to God's call in their life. Why we see this? We, God sees this. He sees their heart. Remember the Pharisees in the New Testament? Their cups were clean on the outside, Jesus said, but inside the cup it was dirty. And so we see this God looks, right? And, we, and he says, I see this level of disobedience. I see their hearts in the moment. Verse 2 shows, says they are traveling east, right? This is a real simple thing, but, but they're traveling east. God said to Adam and Eve and Cain, like, listen, you've got to leave, you've got to travel east, and I'm calling you to be fruitful, to multiply, and to increase on the earth. So they're traveling, doing their thing. They're moving and multiplying, increasing. All of a sudden they stop and say, we're done. We're go- That's far enough. Right? That's as far as I want to go with God. How many of you know people like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll go this far with God. I'm not going any further, right? Jesus is good enough for me on certain days of the week. But man, or whatever it may be, like God, I don't want God all the time. That's like the holy roller stuff. Eh, I don't want that kind of stuff, right? And so there's this, there's this disconnect. There's this, there's pullback. And so what we see right here is this moment of, of choosing for themselves and their own wisdom saying, this seems right in my own eyes. Let us stop right here and stop multiplying and increasing. And so we find literally in this story a level of disobedience. And they say in verse 4, they say, let's build lest uh, we avoid being dispersed over the face of the earth. We don't want to go. We don't want to be obedient. We don't want to follow through on this word from God. Direct opposition to God's call to inhabit the earth. The third thing we begin to see. If looking close, we become aware of the motivations driving them to do all the things they did, right? Motivations. Here's the thing about motivations. Motivation, what motivates us, it speaks to the health of our heart. Does that make sense? Like your motivations in life, what motivates you to action and to move and to wake up and to live and to whatever you do, what motivates you speaks to the health of your heart. That if your motivations, listen, there's only two, really, really only two motivations in life. Motivation of self or the motivation of glorifying God. Glorify self or glorify God. Only two motivations in life. Glorify me, raise me up, make it all about me, or to glorify God in all that I do every day of my life. And so in this moment, there's this glorification of self and building a temple. They wanted to displace God from heaven. They wanted to make a name for themselves, according to verse 4, rather than allow God to do this. And they were scheming together. Versus listening to God's will. They stop listening to God and listen to one another. And so we see this whole dynamic going down, right? Of pushing back of their, this idol of self, this idol of self-worth and self-value, making a name for themselves, right? And all of a sudden, in God's wisdom, we see him begin to parent them in verse 5. See, parents do understand. 
They come down and say, oh, my gosh, if we leave you to your devices and leave you to yourself, you will destroy yourself. And so he comes down and he displaces them. He displaces the idol of self from their heart. It leads us to God in verse 5 through 8, right? He comes in the moment. He says, wow, look at what they're doing. Let's read it just real quick so you can kind of see the words again. Verse 5 says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower men were building. I love that. It's like this literary device basically is saying their thing that they were building was so small that God couldn't see it from where he was because the things men do in their own strength are are valueless. They have no value. So he had to come down. It's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful picture. Verse 6, it goes on. It says, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, right? The Trinity, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other than God scattered them. You're like, see, that's where it seems unfair, but here's the point. God comes down and he says, listen, you are, I've so designed you to do so many things. You're so capable in your own strength, so capable, in fact, unless I come and I do this, you will make an idol of self and you will stop listening to me and you will no longer become dependent upon me. Have you ever, listen, have you ever experienced the gift of confusion in your life? It's not true that God is, God is not, God is the author of confusion, now, biblically speaking, I know what 1 Corinthians was getting at, but God is the author of confusion. He brings it right here. See, God brings confusion into our life sometimes to make us fully and wholly dependent upon him. Because I don't know about you, but there are moments of my life where confusion and, and uh, produces a level of fear, and I turn from myself and all of you, and I look only to Jesus because only he can satisfy me, and only he can bring the answer, and he says, Thank you. I displaced this, this idol, brought confusion as a gift to you to, to help you turn to me. And so the gift here is the gift of confusion to displace the idol of self from their lives so that humanity would then turn to him and be dependent upon him. Parents do understand. That's the message that we see here in Genesis 11. We may not understand, but Jesus, God understands. He looks in the moment where we're like, this doesn't seem fair. It'd be really cool to go to India and be able to speak their language. It'd be awesome, God, to go, to, to go somewhere. And just be, I just, that's, that's not, why'd you do that, God? And he says, because, because, and there's this beautiful piece of dependence upon him. And so it comes back to us in our own moments then, the original question, do you trust him? Do you believe that when he displaces, whether it's displacing idols or whether it's displacing sin or whether it's hey, God displacing something from your life or just something difficult happening, do you trust him? Do you believe that when he displaces, that sometime in time, he will replace it with something much better? Do you trust his wisdom? Do you trust his timing? Listen, one of the, one of the greatest stories of hope in all of Scripture is the story of Job greatest story of hope in all the scripture because job is going this horrendous difficult experience and job 13 15 he gives this line that just it just prophetically speaks against i believe every every human being alive who makes an idol of self when he says to god though you slay me i will hope in him Though you slay me, where else am I going to go? 
Though you slay me, difficult times, displacement comes, hardship comes, God, it's overwhelming. It's too much for me to bear, but I will hope in you. When my mom passed away, I've told this story before, I'll never forget, sitting in the ICU waiting room. She's just died. And I'm sitting there in the room. I've just driven from Athens. I'm sitting in the room, and my dad's sitting there, and we're just kind of just like, we don't know what to do. We're just like overwhelmed. We're emotionally undone. It's just overwhelming. And I look at him, and I just like, like I said, Dad, what are you going to do with Jesus now? What are you going to do with Jesus now? Because he let mom suffer. It was overwhelming. She died early. She literally turned 50 in the hospital. I'm like, Dad, what are you going to, like, you know, I'm, I'm bringing the weight of everything we've experienced in the last two months of her being in the hospital in a coma, right? I'm like, what are you going to do with Jesus now? And just using the words of Peter, he said, where else do I have to go? He has the words of life. Though you slay me, though in my life displacement, hardship, difficulty is coming, I will trust him. Jesus says in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, he's like, not my will, but your will be done because my hope, my trust is in you. You see, there is wisdom. And my question is simply is this in your life, and I'm asking for myself, as children, we trust our own wisdom and believe parents don't understand, and that applies to God a lot of the times. That's why we're so hesitant to pull up roots. But the reality is God comes and speaks, do you trust me? Do you trust my wisdom more than you trust your own, that I will be with you? And that in time, Though you may feel slayed in the moment, what I'll replace it with is far better than you could ever imagine. And so this morning, again, not leaving you in a place of answering your questions, because that should raise a lot of questions. It should make things that have been sensitive to you that you've been hiding, should bring them to the surface. And I'm going to ask you this week, will you sit with the Lord with some concerted time, effort, and energy? Would you discipline yourself to spend time with him? And ask him the question, God, do you think that I really trust you and that I trust your wisdom more than I trust my own? Because the word of God for us is simple. We need to displace and you need to trust. And what I'll replace it with is better. Why? Because I'm a parent who does understand. Because I'm perfect in all of my ways. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we, uh, I, I, Lord, I'd honestly just come really sober because, God, I know that this is not necessarily a fun and exciting and easy message. for You, you know it isn't, Jesus. You know, God, this, um, the difficulty in the Garden of Gethsemane for you and that tension of, of wanting to find another way but trusting Father because you knew his wisdom was right. And, Father, we just confess as human beings, God, we are so good with the idol of self to trust our own wisdom because we really do think that we know ourselves better than anybody else in the world, even you. And God, we've been fed a line sometimes that you don't ever want us to hurt. But sometimes pain is your greatest gift because it allows us to, to come alive to our need for you and a need for healing and a need of a Savior. God, we can never be saved unless we know how dead we are. And so, Father, this morning, I pray just again for a newness. Lord, I I'm so convicted in this season, Father, until we come aware of our need and a trust and a faith 
in you, God, we will never see things happen that we long to see. God, everything is dependent upon faith expressed through your grace poured out. Everything. Us trusting and believing and you pouring out grace we haven't earned, God. So this morning, Jesus, I'm asking you to bring a gift of confusion, a gift of sobriety, a gift of pain, a gift of of reality. God, you know what I mean, Lord. That place of your mercy. Because, God, it was your, it's always your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's always your kindness that causes us to recognize our broken places and turn back to you. And so, Father, we ask this morning that in your kindness and your mercy and your love for us, that you would put your finger on the things of our lives that need to have their finger put on this morning. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.